Open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I want you to think with me this morning as we are moving into this new year, and it's moving quick, isn't it? And we are passing up the first month and ready for the second one, getting ready for uh, the 14th and all that kind of stuff. But what we're trying to do, it's, it's good to do every so often, stop, take inventory, see how we're doing, see what kind of progress we're making, see if we might have gotten off the main route and get back on the right route. And, and in our personal lives, in our church life, we're just having so many exciting things happen, I, I can just run out of breath telling you about it. But there's something that is very, very, very important. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We're going to kind of take a little bit of a, of a pause to just kind of bring the past up and continue with what I'm going to do uh, in the Sundays to, uh, to come. But one of the things that if you don't understand, I could have already lost you. When you start talking about stress, when you start talking about forgiveness, uh, sometimes in the flesh, I just can't do that. I just can't do that. Well, one of the things that is critical is that we must understand the only way we can do the work of God is for God to do his work through us. You can't do God's work, but you can be an instrument through which God does his work. And, uh, and that's what we are. We're the temple of God. This is not the temple of God. This is a church building. But it's not the temple of God. The Bible says our bodies are the temple of God. Now, if we don't understand who we are, we can jump off of this boat real quick and say, this, sink, this ship is sinking. I've tried that, and it isn't working. I want to try to bring us up to uh, some common uh, level of understanding and I'm so glad that Journey came this week, and I appreciate these students. I know y'all are wore out, and I promise you I'm going to do my best to keep you awake. Some of you will probably be the last time we get to talk to you, but I got a message I want you to hear that I hope will have a major difference in your life. But let me just tell you something. Power over sin that we've got to have only comes from a surrendered life where you submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. The way you get strength in the Christian life is to surrender yourself to the Lordship of Christ. It's one thing for Jesus to be your Savior. It's another thing for him to be your Lord. And for us to die to self, when we say, I just can't. Everybody's doing it. I just can't, you know, I just can't resist. God understands that. That's the reason that he wants us to learn how to surrender to him in order that he can use us for the purpose he created us, and thereby whatever weapon that's formed against us will not prosper, that wherever that we go, he will be with us. When we can't walk alone, he will pick us up. When we don't understand we will walk by faith, and one day he says, I will explain it to you, but you wouldn't understand it if I explain it to you now anyway, so just trust me. So I've entitled the message, Strength Through Surrender. Now, Americans don't like the word surrender, and uh, most countries don't like that word. That's a soldier doesn't want to surrender. But hold with me for just a few minutes, and I hope I can bring some new light 
scripturally to what that means. Now, I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 2, and, and this is going to kind of set the foundation on which I want to share a few thoughts with you. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writing to a church in a place called Philippi. Here's what he says to believers. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being one accord and in one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, that each of us esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now we're talking about Jesus. And being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him, has given him a name which is above every name, that is the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I read that a little bit faster than I'd like to, but let me just tell you in one, one sentence kind of what it means. Once we surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, all power is given him to take us wherever he created us to go. And we will not fail. We will not fail. We will have victory celebration one day. We don't know who's going to win the Super Bowl, but we know who's going to win when Jesus comes, all right? We don't know who's going to win the election next year, but we know who wins when the trumpet sounds. Now, that's an absolute fact. There's no question about who's going to win. It's who's going to be on the winning side. And in order to be on the winning side, you don't buy a ticket. Now, if you want to go to the Super Bowl today, if you're anxious to do that and feel left out for $5,300, you can sit on the back row of the end zone. If you're on a good seat, it'll be expensive. But uh, can you imagine such a thing? But that's another subject, right? But you know what? When you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, you got it made. Because as long as you submit to his lordship, as long as you are an obedient child or a surrendered servant, as we'll talk about in a moment, the king is coming. The king is coming. And what we are over, and a lot of people wonder, you know, what are you going to do when you grow up? I remember that one, you know. What are you going to do when you grow up? I don't know when you grow up. I'm not sure if I'm grown up yet. But, but uh, you know, they ask that question all the time. Well, what are you going to do when you grow up? Let me just put it this way. Whatever uh, is over us will determine what's under us. By that I mean that if Jesus is Lord and I'm under him, then everything else is under his lordship. And if uh, we are under the lordship of Christ, we can be over the things that he puts us over and know that we're going to come out on top. Mark 8:35 says this, For whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake... And the gospel's sake shall save it. 
You see, when we quit having our own dreams and aspirations and start following his lordship, then he leads us to where we can use everything he has given us better than anybody else. Every person is the greatest at something, and it's whatever God made you to be. The problem is getting diverted. Let me ask you a question. You ever heard anybody say, I've got to take control of my life? You ever hear anybody say that? I just got to get on. My life's out of control. I got to take control. Uh-uh. No, you don't want to take control of your life. You want God to take control of your life. Your life is out of control because you got what you chose to get. You made the decision. It's running amok. You don't want to take control of your life. You've got to put yourself where you can be over what God has put you over because you have surrendered to him and his lordship is guiding you every single step of the way. A man under God is a powerful influence on his family, as we saw in the earlier service. We see it over and over again in the Christian faith. Whenever a man becomes a man of God, he then has strengths that he never had before to lead his family where they've never been before. And that's what it's all about. But strength comes through surrender. Now, that's a bad sentence for some. say, I'll never surrender. I was in the United States Marines. We'll never surrender. Well, wait a minute. Take off your uniform a minute. Put on the, 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 the uniform of the faith and understand what I just said to you. Strength only comes to a child of God when they surrender to God and God takes control and says, this battle is mine. I'm just going to let you have a front row seat to see it happen. The enemy's going to fall. I would like to bring you up and give you a good seat on the 50-yard line on this battle against Satan because we win. And you're going to have the best seat in the house if you're walking by my side because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I want to ask you a question. This is a rhetorical question, and uh, I'm sure these students have been asked a lot of questions this week, so you don't have to write anything down. On a scale of 1 to 10, how submitted are you to God in your life? On a scale of 1 to 10, how submitted are you to God in your life? Let's just start with something. How about the way you talk? How much is your tongue under the control of the Lordship of Christ? What you choose for entertainment, how much is that under the Lordship of Christ? What you choose to do day by day in your life, how much of it is under the Lordship of Christ? How, how much can you say, I am submitted to God? Now, I want you to keep that in mind. You can put the number one to ten, wherever you want to put it. Don't tell anybody. Don't turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a four. <laughs> you say, well, you're blessed. I'm a two. <laughs> That's not what this is about. But could I just, uh, I haven't graded the papers, but I would submit to you that probably most of us failed. I think in 10 things that there's a lot of things we haven't submitted our lives to. As a father, as a child, as a student, as an athlete, as an employee, as a church member, we're not submitted to him. We work him in when it's convenient, but we really are not submitted to it. 
But our authority in any matter, none of us have any authority or power over anything unless God gives it to us. That's the only way it can come. This, this is a power. Anything I say, if it doesn't back up with this, is sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. But when God speaks, that settles it. And you say, well, I've got a professor that such and such, well, pray for him. He needs to get saved. He needs to get born again. He, he needs to, to wake up because the wisdom of men is foolishness to God, according to the Scripture. But we've got to understand that we can lose control of our life when we get out from under the Lordship of Christ. Can I give you an example? This past week, I took my 1995 car because he was making a funny noise. Can you imagine making a a funny noise? Every time I'd put it on the brakes, it was making music that was not in sync. You know what I'm talking about? So I stopped by, and, and the mechanic's name was Ricky. And so Ricky took off the wheels and he showed me that these are the original brakes. <laughs> he showed me the caps that had not been taken off on the car. He said, you need some brakes bad. Then he told me a story. Let me tell it to you real quick. He said a few days ago, a friend of mine was going down 45 and said he was going pretty fast, and he began to hear a noise in his wheels while they were rolling. And he called me. And he said, Ricky, I've got this crazy noise. What should I do? To which he said, pull over, stop, get out, and call a wrecker. He did. The wrecker came out in a few minutes, and when he was loading the car, onto the truck, the right front wheel fell off. You might have been riding beside him last week when he was going to 75, just before he called the mechanic. But isn't it, can can you see a macho man doing something like that? Well, okay, Ricky, I'll come by to see you. You know, after I have a few beers, you know, I'm going to drive over to Dallas and come back, and I'll drop it in on Monday. We'd be burying him today. But the mechanic had knowledge that he did not have. I can identify with that. God knows the wheels are coming off in some lives that are sitting here right now. And if he says, stop, repent, about face, follow me, he can redo, not only your brakes, he can redo the accelerator and every part of your life. That's just the way he works, you understand? That's just the way he works. And everybody that knows the Bible knows that we win. That's for sure. And all of us should be servants to the people while at the same time being a slave to God. Does that make sense? We're a slave to God, and he says to his slaves, I want you to do thus and so. Now, follow this. We like to use the word commitment. Commitment. I'm a committed Christian. There's a difference in being committed and being surrendered. Let me tell you what the difference is. You can say, I'm committed to pray. I, I committed myself to pray every day. Or have you prayed every day? Well, I missed a few. See, you can go back on a commitment. I'm committed to give. You know, I'm committed to serve. I don't, but I'm committed to it. I'm committed to give. I know that I've freeloaded for years at the church, but I'm going to start giving. I found, got a little conviction about this. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to give a, a tip every once in a while or whatever. Uh, but I committed, I'm committed. 
I'm committed to serve, pray, give, serve, whatever you want to. Let me tell you something. When you're a slave, you don't have a choice. When you're bought with your own, you don't say to the slave owner, to the one that owns you, well, I'm praying about it. I'm thinking about going out there and doing whatever. No, sir. When you are a slave, as we are as believers, we don't have a choice. We've been bought with a price. And so when you think about your life, about what are you committed to, I would ask you to ask the question, what am I surrendered to? What is it that my master would ask of me? Speak, Lord, your servant, your slave. I'm listening. I'm listening. You see, resisting authority is easy. Adam and Eve had a problem with it. Remember in the garden? God told them what to do. They did their own thing. And for many, change means rebellion. Real quick, I'm going to take you down memory lane. I haven't lived since Adam and Eve, but I have lived a few years from the 1940s. Can I take you down a quick road? 1940. There was a man named Clark Gable, and there was a woman named Maureen O'Hara that starred in a movie called Gone with the Wind. I made a million dollars or so. I mean, that, that was nobody ever make a movie and make over a million dollars, if you can imagine. But in that movie, a word was spoken for the first time ever on the screens of the movie industry. And Clark Gable used the word down in that movie. And the curtain started coming down. Ten years later, a man by the name of Elvis Presley came on the scene, raised in a Christian home. He came on the screen and he played the guitar. But it wasn't much the guitar that was different. It was from his waist down that was a little different. And I know these kids say, Elvis Presley, they've never heard of him. Well, I'm going to get to you in just a second, all right? <laughs> but in the 1950s, Elvis came. Ed Sullivan was the number one variety. It was Saturday Night Live, okay, Ed Sullivan show. When Elvis was on, they blacked out from his waist down as he was doing those what would be called Hardly no gyrations at all compared to what there is now. 1960. Four young men came over from England. They were called the Bugs. <laughs> the Beatles. I know who they were. Okay, I know. I really I do. Okay. <laughs> two of them are alive. Two of them are dead. Here's what the Beatles told American youth. Resist authority. New philosophy. These are words from the things that we have new ideas. Do your own thing. If it feels good, do it. We're the me generation. That was the 1960s. Every home in America has been hit by the shock waves that started way back again. They built and built and built and built and built and built. And now we're living in a day when we've become so confused. A woman was to be the queen of the home. Her husband was to provide for her. Her husband was to make sure the children respected her. She was to be honored and protected above all else. She was absolutely the queen of the home until one day I want to be liberated. The men, the men were men. 
They protected their family. They took care of their family. They got a job and they worked for their family so that their wife could meet the kids when they came home. That has all changed now to where last night millions of kids went to bed with no live-in daddy. How did it happen? America began to move away from God. And little by little by little by little, we're reaping what we've sown. Now, don't quit. It ain't over. He's still king. He's still Lord. This battle's not over, but we better recognize what the enemy is doing. But all of a sudden, we have free love. We want, we have children that are unloved. Hard to get a child like David is talking about. When I started Sage My Church, if you wanted a, a child, you want to adopt a child, we could probably get one in 60 days. Now you can hardly get them. It just breaks your heart when you know there's so many kids don't have a home where there's a daddy that loves them and protects them and shows them how to treat a woman and, and, a, and a woman to how to love her husband and to be the, what God created her to be, which is a very, very, very special thing. So now the diseases are running rampant. I was told just last week that we have junior high, middle school, young ladies will tell their friends that they're not pure even though they are pure in order that they will be accepted by their peer group. Isn't that a heartbreaking thing? Don't you wish you could see the time when a group of young people like this would stand up and say, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. I am not going after other gods. I am not going to bow down to this world. I'm going to be what God wants me to be and I'm going to try to bring you up. There were kids that at this week, at, at Journey, that this is the one shot that we had at them to just tell them how much God loves them. Don't give up. Don't quit. You're special to God. It's so important. When we become an adopted child of God, we become the target of assassinations by Satan, and he destroys in so many ways. John 10, 9 says, I'm the door by me. If any man enter in, he'll be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. The, the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. How in the world can our grotesque society survive until, unless we see God move in the slaves, the servants, the children of God to rise up, O men of God, not men, male, but rise up, people, and be what God wants you to be. I had someone look up for me. I had no idea what I'm fixing to tell you. I, will, I would like to give you the name of the rock bands that have come in the last very brief time. Anthrax, Autopsy, Biohazard, Blood Feast, Blue Murder, Brain Sick, Cannibal Corpse, Demolition Christ, Destruction, Embalmer, Extremet, Septic flesh, slaughter, suicide kings, carcass, cannivores, cemetery club, Christian death, the damned, dark angel, deceased, flesh crawl, grim reaper, massacre, mega death, rigor mortis, rotting Christ, and vampire rodents. That's just some that have been given to me. Where in the world can a nation come and be under God and have that kind of thing? What's the problem? We don't want to be slaves. We want to be free. We're not going to be free in this life until we get under the blood of Jesus. And that's what's going to set us free. 
And until that happens, we're not going to see revival come to where our homes and our young people can enlighten themselves to, oh God, I'm living in the greatest generation. I don't believe it's over with, but I do know this, unless we repent, we're going to perish. I don't know who's going to win the Super Bowl, but I know who's going to win when the trumpet blows. God's kids are going home, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen and amen. Those, when you can listen to music, God bless people like Eric and David and, and, and where you can, be, can, can glorify the Lord, when you can edify Christ, when you can just be still and know he's God. I'm not talking about generation. I'm not trying about style. I'm talking about a message. I'm talking about a willingness to understand, oh God, oh God, oh God, bring revival to our land. Don't put it off on the others. Let's let it happen to us. And if we are to defeat the enemy, we've got to come out from among them. And we've got to be separate. That's the scripture. 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Wherefore, come out from among them, be you separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons. You'll be my daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. And what we're witnessing today has no reasonable understanding. I tell you, I get scared when people start driving nails through their, their skins and start scarring up their skin for life and they can never turn back. And, and just that's the way it was when I read National Geographic back in the 1940s. You know, it's like savage stuff. Witch doctors, witchcraft, all this kind of stuff. Folks, we got to get under the blood. The blood of Jesus cleanses. Don't, let, don't get robbed of your inheritance. That's what I'm saying to us. God still loves us. If you're going to use drugs, do them to get well, not to kill yourself. Okay? But it seems today that people not only ignore Jesus, but they hate him. I have that article in my pocket. The corpus, they're already been bombarded down there just like we were here. My goodness, we're wanting to tell the people how much God loves them. He gave his only son. And the community wants to tear it down. But thank God, I got people sitting right here, and I'm looking at one of them right over there right now. Hated the cross, but it changed his life. And there's one sitting right there. That because of the cross, it changed Jonathan Sandy's life. This young man is a great-grandson of Winston Churchill, and he came here one time, and God changed his life. Am I right, Jonathan? Amen, amen and amen. There's power in the blood. God can save the, the up and out, the down and out, okay? That's what we're talking about. That's what journey's on about. We're on a journey, and we're not to the end yet. I don't know whether we'll die. That'll be the end here, or the Lord will come. But it don't make any difference. We live, we live in the Lord. If we die, we die in the Lord. If we live or die, it doesn't matter. We're the Lord's. But God wants us to just wake up. Don't follow a loser. Satan loses, folks. He loses. Don't follow him. Mark 5, 1 to 9 is a story about a demoniac man. And Satan had gotten into him. He was living in a graveyard among the tombs. But when he saw Jesus and realized he had a chance to be set free, he ran and he worshiped him. And when he went and worshiped him, he had almost been destroyed, but God changed his life and used him for the glory of God. Listen to 1 John 4, 4. You're of God, little children. You've overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. When Jesus shows up, he went. He showed up in Bethlehem. 
We won. The wise men bowed down and worshiped him. He showed up in the temple when he was 12 years old. The doctors, the intellects worshiped that little boy. 12 years old, they sat and were astounded at what he could say because the father was speaking to him. He went to Calvary. He was being executed. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone and he gave up his life. And the centurion said, I've never seen a man die like this. And I've executed a lot of them, but never has one died like Jesus. He had the preeminence in the tomb. They ran in, but he wasn't there. They had never seen anybody rise from a grave. At the ascension, they stood there spellbound. And all of a sudden, he ascended. And when the trumpet sounds and he comes back again, he'll be king. He'll be Lord. And he'll say, come on, family, let's celebrate. When he wins, we win. I've got to close. Listen, and I'll be real brief if you'll listen. Listen, please don't miss this. We can't use Satan's weapons to fight God's battles. We don't go against them in flesh and blood. We go against them by humbling ourselves and praying, seeking God's face and turning from our wicked ways. Let's us get right with God, and maybe the world will see that we're living proof of a loving God to a watching world. 1 John 4, 4 says, You're of God, little children, and I have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. Ooh, I like that. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And Ephesians 6, 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Just a warning. Charles Haddon Spurgeon would be considered by, I think, the majority of theologians and preachers for sure, the preacher of preachers, the greatest voice for God probably that was in any generation I came across a quote by him the other day. I have all of his works, and I hadn't looked at them in a long time. But in thinking about this message today, this one just popped up. Listen to this. If we let passion take the place of judgment and self-will reign instead of scriptural authority, we shall fight the Lord's battles with the devil's weapons and if we cut our own fingers, we must not be surprised. Do you see what he was saying? You can't fight God's battles with Satan's weapons. The thing that's going to capture young people is the love of God. Not torture. Not anger. Not immorality. The love of God constrains us. Jesus said, lift me up. Make sure every young person, every adult, every senior adult has a chance to hear that I love them. And then they'll have to choose as to what they will do. So I want to challenge all of us today to be reminded our strength and our new life came from the Father through the Son. And for those that you know, that you love and those that I know that I love, it's going to come to them the same way or it's not going to come. 
God is love. He's love. And when Christians love one another, they won't encourage one another to sin. They will encourage one another to stand strong in the power of his might. And come on and put our arms around each other. And young people, go back to school. Go back wherever you're, home school, private school, public school, and be a leader, not a follower. You don't follow anything but Jesus, him and him alone. And when you follow Jesus, he will tell you about the other authority that he wants you to follow, that he will guide your life through. And when we do that, revival will come to the church Evangelism will go out to the world and we will see a generation come like we have never known before. Back in California in the Jesus movement, it almost happened and did for a while until the believers began to back away and they were wanting to go back to the world again and it crumbled. God, give us another chance. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I want to read a blessing over us and then we're going to go. In Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him that fills all in all. The church is not the organization that we refer to so commonly. The church here and always is the body of Christ. Are you in that? I want you to think for a moment. To that question I asked you, on a scale of 1 to 10, how submitted are you to the Lord? How, how willing are you to be one of the very, very few. Have you even got the courage to stand alone and come out and say, you know, on my journey this week, if you came to journey, I found God. I'd put him aside, but he reappeared. I remembered the day I was saved. I remembered the joy that was mine when I felt the burdens lifted. And I've got it back. I, I understand. I, I'd almost drifted. I got caught up in the mire of what everybody else was doing. But I've realized I can never lead if all I do is follow. And I pray, dear God, that you will just move across our students, our young adults, our median adults, our single adults, our married adults, our senior adults, our new members, our members that have been here for years, and those that are here for the first time today, God, raise up your family. And would you forgive us as we confess our sin, our rebellion, 
our level never getting more than a commitment that could easily be broken. And dear God, would you just take over? Your family, your church, your kids, and help us, God, to come along those that are willing to serve in government. They're willing to go on the battlefield. They're willing to educate. But yet at the same time, Father, there must be a power, not a military power, but a spiritual power. And would you let us see it happen? And I pray, God, for any person here that has never understood they are an heir of God if they want to be. They can be adopted into the family if they want to be. They don't have to buy a chance and stand in a lottery line. They can own the universe as an heir of yours and be in your family with an assignment to be on that group that brings a final revival to our world before your scripture is fulfilled. And I ask it, Father, humbly and in the name of Jesus, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.